I want to talk to you today about walking and living in peace. What does it mean to have a peaceful life? If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to the book of Philippians chapter 4. We have been teaching through the book of Philippians. Has this been a helpful series for everyone? I trust it has for all of our locations. Today I want to talk to you about how to live a peaceful life. I think that we would all admit, if we're honest, that many things in life can steal our peace. There are plenty of things out there, whether it's media, society, technology. I spoke a little bit about that last week, how, how, how there's so many impulses, there's so much things coming at our sensory. There, there's an overload that we all currently are experiencing. And the truth is there's negative messaging that comes so often. And, and, and when, we, when we allow those things into our soul, they come through our eyes, into our mind, into our heart. It, it so quickly steals our peace. I wonder how much injury that we're doing. In other words, how much anxiety and stress are we actually creating by what we allow to go into our eyes? By the way, our eye gate and our ear gate. Do you know the Bible talks about, the book of Proverbs talks about your ear gate. Everyone say ear gate. You have an ear gate. You have an eye gate. In other words, I wonder how much we're actually injuring ourselves by what we allow in here and in here. Pastor, I don't know why I'm not walking in peace. I, 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 don't, I don't know why. I, I mean, I, I'll read the Bible but, and, and I'll come to church. But, but, but yes, it's not, just what you're, it's not just what you're putting, you're allowing the word of God to get in. But, but, but there's also mixture because we allow the word, but we also allow all kind of other stuff. And it dilutes the power of the word. And thus, we don't walk in the peace that God intends. Let me tell you, walking in Peace, learning to walk in peace has been a process for me. I attempt to be appropriately transparent as your pastor. I think some pastors can get overly, it's like, you know, I just this morning, I'm just in a bad mood. You know, that's a little immature. But anyway, I do think there's an appropriate level of peace. And I'll tell you, my personality, I, I've always been, since a young kid, I don't sleep a lot. I wake up, I'm full of energy. I just, it's just my person, it's just how I'm designed. I just, I like I, excitement, I'm energetic, I'm passionate. And so I, I got this confused for a long time. I want everybody to hear, this is gonna be very helpful for some, for some people. I confused, I would hear people talk about peace and I somehow interpreted it as passivity. Let me help everybody. You can be very active and very passionate and very engaged and very peaceful. Did you hear that? When somebody's peaceful, it doesn't mean that they go into a catatonic state where they say, I'm just peaceful. No, you're weird. <laughs> Sorry. That was a microaggression. And so, because I'm a, I'm a passionate person. I get excited. I'm engaged. I'm fired up. I've never been different than this. Passivity and peace are not synonymous. Truth is, I can show you some passive people that are riddled with anxiety. So, good news. Everybody say good news. You can be engaged in life. You can be engaged in your family, vocationally, professionally, all of the above, and walk in peace. Yeah. I want to talk to you today about the power of living in God's peace. We are in a crisis in our nation. It's true as well globally, but specifically in our nation, according to a very recent mental health study, Anxiety disorders affect 40 million Americans. 
That's almost 20% of our adult population. Additionally, one-third of adults reported anxiety and depression symptoms just last year. It is rampant, anxiety, depression in our culture. It's ever, look, however, things can be different for followers of Jesus. In other words, you read statistics, you hear about that. In other words, we can do something different. We can make some shifts. We can have a perspective shift. We can do life differently. We can watch our eye gate, our ear gate. We can watch the external impulses. We can watch what are we putting on the inside of us? What do we allow to go through our mind, through our heart, through our lives? Of course, I have no way of knowing what the future holds. There are so many things that are going on in our culture. There's so many geopolitical realities. and I mean, just all, I have no way of knowing what the future holds. But I do know this. This is not to be a trite statement, but I do know who holds my future. And by me tell you, let me tell you something. All you've got to know is hold, who holds your future. All you got to know is that you're in the palm of his hand. How many of y'all know that there's great peace when you're in the palm of the hand of Jesus? Come on. We have a promise from God. We have a promise from God that we can live in his peace. Isaiah chapter 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. The scripture promises us that if we set our eyes on Jesus, where are, are your eyes? Where are your ears? Where are you engaging in? What, what are you meditating upon? What are you interfacing with? What are you, what are you exposing your soul to? The scripture says this, it's very clear, it's a promise from God. But here's what I found out in the Bible, whenever there's a promise, there's a condition. In other words, we gotta participate with that. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We gotta call, he saves. We don't save, we call. And the Bible is real clear, whosoever's mind is stayed upon thee. In other words, our responsibility is to focus our mind. God's responsibility is to fill us with his peace. And there is a peace promise. So I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're currently experiencing. I don't know your current emotional status. But I do know there's one who promises you peace. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your environment, there's one who promises us peace. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. I love this verse. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you and my covenant, everyone say covenant, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken. What is the Lord saying in the face of fear, in the face of uncertainty, God's promises stand. God has made a covenant with us. Covenant's an interesting word. It's a, it's a very deep word, an, a common term that we would use in a sense synonymous. It's much deeper biblically to say, say covenant. Agreement, some of you would like in a covenant to a contract, it's deeper than that. It's deeper than just an agreement. It's deeper than just a contract. You can break a contract. A covenant is, is so deep. Those of you who remember, I, I remember as a young boy, um, I, I loved watching, you know, cowboy and Indians. I loved watching just the movies and all that, you know, and you, you would see and, and just hear what I'm about to say. Very powerful image. And as a young boy, I remember the image of Indians cutting themselves, I remember specifically, and, and, and whoom, making a blood covenant. I'm not advocating that. I'm telling you, it's part of history. 
But it actually, and basically what they're saying is, is that what mine is my, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And, and we are covenant brothers. That actually goes all the way back to the Bible. There's covenants made all throughout the Old Testament. You ought to read it. It's a covenant. A covenant, but the greatest covenant ever made with mankind. And by the way, the blood covenant is the strongest covenant. Yeah. The strongest covenant made in the Bible is when God the Father sent God the Son to die on a cross. That's the ultimate, I got you. It's a blood covenant. And here's what he said. He said, I've given you a covenant. In other words, it's more than an agreement. It's more than, listen, a contract. I promise you, I've given you a covenant of my peace. Not of a mental state, not, not of just something that, that we're just gonna all sit around and we're gonna hum together. No, there is a supernatural deposit from God, of God, called his peace. Some of you may be going through literally hell right now. We have a promise from God. He has a covenant with us. He'll give us his peace. How many are grateful for that? His peace. The Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. If you go to Israel, many times people shalom. There's, a, there's often a... a where people would say that, it's, it means something so deep. The word shalom actually means peace, but it means whole, complete, nothing broken, nothing missing. Shalom is also translated as several other words, such as safety, prosperity, wellness, welfare, and health. This is where we have a perspective shift. Here's the perspective shift. It comes in, are you viewing life, watch this, through your own limited resources, through your own ability to pull off life, or are you living and seeing your life through the lens of God's covenant of peace where he says, I promise you my shalom. Yeah. Shalom. God, I need your help. God, I'm in a situation that's so much bigger than me. Shalom. Peace is not just a mental state. There is a tangible power that we can experience. The actual peace of Jesus himself. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. This is Jesus talking. He's saying, I give you my peace. Everybody say, my peace. The actual peace of Jesus, not conceptually, but a spiritual impartation of his peace. In other words, in other words, you ever been around somebody that's got something that you don't have and you're like, man, I wish I had that. Can I tell you something? He's got peace that we often don't have. We actually don't get peace. We actually get his peace. It's not an entity. It's not just a substance. We actually get the very peace of Jesus he gives us. It's his peace. And let me tell you, he's not freaking out about anything. Matter of fact, he's in, listen, in the gospel, he's in the boat, in the, in the front of the boat, in a storm, sleeping. How would y'all like to live that way? Come on, how many of y'all want that type of peace? I mean, total peace. I know it's hard to conceptualize this. I know it sounds too good to be true, but it's actually biblical. That we can live with God's peace. I can think back in my life, times where literally, literally, it's like 
my life is rocking and going back and forth. Like, whoa. And boy, that, but, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a transition spiritually and then affects me mentally and emotionally where I literally can sense a download of God's peace. And by the way, it doesn't change your circumstances at first. It always changes you. Everybody say God's peace. All right. I want to give you three steps to walking in peace from the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 4. Here we go. You guys ready? That wasn't strong. All of our locations. Are you guys ready? Say yes. All right. Here we go. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Verse by verse, we've been teaching through Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. Paul gave his heart to Christ in 34 AD. He planted this church, the church at Philippi, the Philippian church. He planted it in 49 AD. He is writing this letter now in 60 AD, 11 years after planting that church. He's writing back to the church 11 years afterwards, encouraging them how to walk in God's peace regardless of their circumstance. Oh, that we can learn to live in God's peace. As our world is rocking and reeling, we can live in God's peace. Philippians chapter 4, three keys to walking in peace. Number one, learning to live a life of praise. Philippians 4 verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Stand fast. I love this. I implore Euodia and I implore, I implore Syntech to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you also, true companions, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Here it is. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, come on, rejoice. Verse four commands us to rejoice. Not once, not once, but twice. Talk about making a point. Not once, rejoice in the Lord always. Boom, 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 boom. And again, he says, I say rejoice. I mean, he's trying to make a point. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What does it mean to rejoice? To rejoice means this. It means to be glad. Rejoicing, the Bible is often coupled with the word praise. To rejoice, a jubilant sense of exaltating God. Saying, rejoice, Lord, I rejoice. I, in other words, I am, I am extolling who God is. I'm exalting the Lord. And when I rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, not rejoice in your circumstances, not rejoice when all things are going well, not rejoice, listen, to rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Paul was teaching a secret as he's in that chain to that Roman soldier. He's writing to the church at Philippi and he's telling them that. He's telling them the key to walking in peace Watch this. Regardless of your circumstances, is to learn to rejoice, to praise, to honor God, to lift your, lift your eyes up. Praise is a powerful concept. So you got to see coupling the word rejoice and praise. Often when we see the word rejoice in the Bible, it is praising. Matter of fact, open the book of Psalms. Many of the Psalms are written by David. Where? In the wilderness. When? Running from Saul. The Lord is my stronghold. The Lord is my fortress. I exalt thee, O God. Do you know many of the songs that, people, that we sing in church are psalms? 
They're from the book. They, they are written by psalmist, David being the primary one, not the only one. And, and so many of them is lifting your voice and praising God in spite of your circumstances. How often do we want to praise when things are going well? And yet Paul says praise when things aren't going well. Yeah. I, um, I learned this in Bible school. I graduated from college in 91. Then I went to Bible school in 1991 to 3. Then I came back and went to the seminary after that. And one of the things I learned about the power, the power of praise in the morning time, I'd wake up early. I thank God that I was discipled well as a young Christian. I was discipled well about how to have a prayer life, about how to spend time with God. And, and one of the things that I learned was reading my Bible and praying and, and also lifting up my voice in praise. And God, I thank you. And I would sing and worship. And so I went to Bible school in Texas and behind the dorms, we would, I, they would there was this big parking lot behind the dorms. And I would go out there really early in the morning. Remember, I told you a couple weeks ago, a lot of people go to Bible school to be trained. I went to be trained, but I also went to get healed. Because there's a lot of things, just a lot of stuff, man. God was touching my life, and, and I'd come out of just some bangs and bruises and life and family and my own choices too, by the way. Make sure to own your own choices always. And the consequences attached to that. And so I, I, I remember I learned a secret of praise. That praise actually takes your eyes off of your circumstances. And it puts it so much on God that things literally, listen to me. I want everybody to hear me, every location. Things literally can get broken off of your life when you learn to praise God. I'm talking about chains in your life. I'm talking about addiction. I'm talking about you literally get emboldened by God's spirit when you lift your voice. It's almost like the, 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 their voice goes up, God's power comes down, chains come off. There's a power attached to it. I know what some of you guys say, well, pastor, what did you do when it got cold? I'll tell you exactly what I did. I went in the stairwell. I literally would go in the stairwell at the, the men's dorm and I'd sing to God and I'd worship to God. And I'm gonna tell you why, you say, why do you do that? Because you love God? Yes, because I love God. But I also know that things needed to come off of my life. And I'd praise God and I'd worship God. Some of you guys right now, you're dealing with things in your life and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, and yes, you need prayer, and yes, we believe in prayer, and some need counseling and all the above. But I'm telling you, some things will not come off of your life till you lift your voice and you begin to praise God. There's power that's released when you worship God. There's power that's released when you praise God. Supernatural. Praise gets your focus off of your problems, shifts your perspective, and it puts it onto God. Your focus goes off of your problems and onto God as you praise and worship God. Paul faced many circumstances in his life that caused him stress and anxiety. In the middle of those, he chose to rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. Remember, rejoice in the Lord always. Hey, did you get it? And again, I say rejoice. Just in case you forgot, don't forget rejoice. Open your mouth and praise God. Chains will come off your life. I was studying, I was putting this together actually this week. And I was studying and looking through this, and I saw something that was really unique. Paul, <laughs> this is really interesting. Remember, Paul got saved. He gave his heart to Christ 34 AD. He planted this church in 49 AD. He's writing in 60 AD, back to the church that he planted in 49 AD, 11 years before. 
Who are the who was who was his church plant founded? There's a lot of there's a lot of conversation today about you know your launch team and we we plant churches and oh, you know who's on your launch team. Make sure you got some people that are bought into the vision, your launch, and they're bought in. You know, let me tell you who Paul's launch team was. Lydia, who basically was a flea market gypsy. This is his launch team, and he leads her to Christ. The Bible says the Lord opened her heart. He literally opened her heart. She gets born again. So number one, a flea market gypsy, all right? Number two is a demon-possessed teenage girl. The Bible said that this girl was a fortune teller. Now listen, I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. This girl was a fortune teller. And she was going around tormenting Paul. Oh, yes, this is the great man of God. And she wasn't saying that respectfully. It was a demon spirit in her that was mocking Paul. Finally, Paul turned, this is his church plant team. Finally, he turns around, casts the devil out of this girl, and it comes out of her. The people that owned her, I know that's crazy, were so concerned because she was a fortune teller and she made them a lot of money. Let me talk to every location just for a moment. This is very important what I'm about to say. It's not a game. Fortune telling's not a game. Black magic's not a game. Voodoo's not a game. It's demonic. It's demons. Don't ever, listen. I want everybody here because a lot of people from New Orleans, oh, let's go cool. We got some friends and we're going to burn. No, you're bringing them to, to de dens of demons. You don't let anybody read your fortune. You don't let, they're demonic spirits that will, I know it's part of New Orleans culture. Well, it needs to get out. It's not cool. It's not hip. It's demonic. And it's been a problem with the city. There's demon spirits that will speak through those people that will give you weird thoughts about yourself and it'll put it in your mind that will then become a curse in your life. Don't let anybody read your palms. Don't let anybody read your fortune. In the name of Jesus, you only hear from God about your future. You don't hear from somebody about that. We don't play with tarot cards. We don't read any of that stuff. Paul cast the devil out of the girl and she became part of his dream team. <laughs> this is how the church of Philippi actually was started. Lydia Flea Market Gypsy, a demon-possessed girl who was doing fortune teller in Jackson Square and had the devil cast out of her. Boy, I'm getting real close to home. I hope it's hitting some people. And number three... And listen, and the number three, he, they, they put him in jail because the fortune teller was owned, isn't that crazy, by masters that made profit off of that demonic spirit through that girl. And they, Paul and Silas go to jail. How stupid to put them in jail because they had worship CDs. Okay, they didn't have CDs, but they had a voice. Acts chapter 16, verse 23. Now when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them safe. This is how the church was birthed. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner side. The reason is the fortune teller owners of that girl who was a slave girl, they got so mad, they stirred up the town authorities and threw Paul and Silas in jail. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Everybody say praise. 
This is how the church started. And the prisoners were listening to them. When Paul and Silas were beaten severely and thrown into the inner prison, they didn't complain. They praised. It's a choice. Everybody say it's a choice. You have a choice every day. Are you going to complain or are you going to praise? And let me just say this. I know some of you are in some really tough circumstances. I'm not mitigating that. I'm not, I'm not making fun of that. I'm not denying that. But you still have a choice. Paul was in a tough situation, and he had a choice. Yeah. And they lifted their voice. They began to praise. Look at verse 28 or 26. Suddenly. Everyone say suddenly. There's a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. Prison doors flew open when Paul and Silas began to praise God. When praise goes up, God's power comes down and chains come off. That's what happens. I wrote this down. Praise, listen to me, this is important. Praise breaks things and praise births things. It breaks chains and it births churches. It births new things in families. It births new intimacy in marriage. It births new destiny in people's lives. Praise breaks chains and praise births God's dream for a person's life. You want both of them happening in your life. It breaks and it births. That's why the devil will do anything to try to get you to not praise God. Yeah, we worship you, Jesus. We lift our voice, we honor you, we thank you, we love you. Praise goes up, power comes down, boom, chains come off. By the way, they got freed, not only they got freed, the whole prison got freed. Remember, those miracles took place. The miracles that we're talking about right here, right now, Paul's writing in 60 AD with that experience in mind. Now does it make a little bit more sense when he says, rejoice always. Oh, wait, wait, wait. And again, I say, rejoice. Because he knows the power of breaking chains, literally in his life. What are you facing in your life? What, what, what is overwhelming you in your life? Lift your voice and begin to praise God. Praise goes up, God's power comes down, chains come off. How many are grateful for the power of God? How many are grateful? Number two, bring your worries to God in prayer. Number one, pastor, how do I live in peace? Live a life of praise. Regardless of your circumstances, live a life of praise. Number two, bring your worries to God in prayer. Philippians chapter four, verse six to seven. I'm just going verse by verse. I've been doing this for five weeks now. Be anxious for nothing. What if we really live that way? The quality of our life would change. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. There it is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In prayer, we release our anxieties to God. We transfer. Here it is. We transfer and we give our anxiety to him and he gives his peace to us. It's what I call a divine exchange. So we give our cares to him, and then he gives his peace to us. 
What I've learned is when I'm struggling and I've got all of these cares, watch this, watch this. I'll say it out loud, Lord, I give you this, and then I'll wait and get quiet before the Lord. And as I get quiet before the Lord, God will give me then, this is important, God will give me a thought, God will give me some scriptures in my mind. What am I doing? I'm entering into what's called a divine exchange. Your cares go to God, but you don't just throw your cares to God. But then he gives you his peace. He begins to speak to you. Paul is very clear here. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Everything. God cares about every part of our lives. Not just the big things. I had a guy tell me one time, well, you know, I don't want to pray about that. It's too big. Can I help everybody? God cares about every area of your life. God's like, ah, let an angel handle that. No, no, no. <laughs> every area of your life. One of the key steps to living a peaceful life is learning how to present your request to God. I want to encourage you guys. Maybe you need to write it down. You've got a prayer journal. Write it down. Lord, I give you this. It's a family member. Maybe it's a business issue. Maybe it's a health, whatever it is. You write it down. You write it down. And then you verbalize it. And then you wait upon the Lord. And what are you doing? You're giving it to God. You're giving your care to God. And then you wait upon the Lord. And then God gives you something back called his peace. First Peter chapter five, verse seven, listen to this scripture. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The word anxiety in the Greek means, listen to this. Y'all, you're gonna love, this is gonna be so helpful. Do you know what anxiety actually means? It actually means to divide the mind. That's what anxiety literally means. When you're anxious, your mind is being divided. That's what the Bible says. That's what the word interpreted, anxiety, cast all of your anxiety. In the Greek, it means divide the mind. When you're divided, you live overly what? Overly concerned, inordinately wonders. This could happen. What about this relationship? What about? It's not to suggest that we're not that we're not contemplative about big decisions in our life or decisions. But when you get overly worried, inordinately attached to managing outcomes, guess what? It divides the mind. You ever heard this before? It's really biblical. Let go, right? And let God. You do realize how biblical that is, right? Everybody say, let go and let God. The quality of peace in our life would exponentially increase if we really lived that out. I'm not advocating irresponsibility. I'm not advocating that we don't think through and scenario plan and that we're not strategic in our outcomes and of our life. I am suggesting that we come to the point, we've thought about everything, we've done everything we can do, then we let go and we let God. And we trust in an all-powerful God that he's sovereign, that he's got our life in the palm of his hand, and he's got more power to be able to help us than we realize. Everybody say, let go and let God. It's biblical. It'll help you. Lord, I let go. I, um, I remember as a young boy, talking about casting, I've, I've always fished and hunted. I remember as a young boy, I went to Grand Isle and uh, with my family and my uncle, who was a fisherman, and I'll never forget this, this lure. It was called a Mr. Fish. It was a very nice lure. And I asked him, I said, we were getting the tackle box. He goes, and I told him, I said, Uncle, can I, can, I, can I use this? He goes, yes. He goes, take good care of it. I'll never forget. We were surf fishing. And we were out there. And as a little boy, and so I had my, had my rod. And, 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 I, and, I, and I had that. And I tied it on there. And I went and I did like this. And, and it just, well, it just kept going. It did. 
very nice. And I remember coming back. I said uh, to my uncle, I said, um, I don't know what happened, but it's, it, it just kept going. I think it's in Cuba. I didn't say that. I was too young. I didn't know about Cuba. But anyway, but I did say it's way out there. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. It gets better. It gets better. He goes, all right, I've got one more. He goes, I taught you how to tie it because that was the principle. You know, so, so he taught it how to tie it. And, and I said, I promise you I'm going to take care of it. I got to tell you, a, a spirit of fear came on me. I'm telling you, it wasn't a mindset, it was demons. Okay, but anyway, so I'm sure. But anyway, I was, I'm playing a little bit better. I was so scared. So I remember, I didn't even go talk to him. And I thought about that this week as I was finishing up this message. The problem with the term casting is we cast our cares but we so often reel them back. So at the expense of Pastor Steve losing two Mr. Fish lures, it's actually biblical. He wants you to cast them and he wants them to go beyond Cuba. Everybody say cast and don't reel back. Come on, you gotta say it better. Everybody say cast and don't reel back. Come on, everybody say let go and let God. Come on, if you receive that, Let's honor the Lord with that. I got one more point. I got one more point. All right, here it is. One more point. This is, this is I'm having fun today. Y'all are, y'all, are, y'all are a good audience today. It's fun. But it's this is where we live. The reason why we can laugh in church and have fun and cry, I do both, is because, man, this is exactly where we live. It is. Pastor, I want to walk in peace. Number one, you got to live a life of praise. Praise gets your eyes off your problems and puts it on God. Praise goes up, power comes down, chains come off. Praise breaks things, but it also births things. It births the church. It birthed the church of Philippi. Number two, we bring our, we bring our, we bring our cares to God in prayer. We cast them, but we don't reel them back. Third and final thing, think positively. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate. Everyone say meditate. Okay, this is important. Meditate on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace. It's peace. Again, peace. It's all over the problem. It's the peace of God. Cast your care. The peace of God. The God of peace will be you. Yeah. Paul is giving us a lesson on shifting our perspective. It's easy to focus on what's bad. It's easy to focus on what's wrong. It's easy to focus on all of the negative things in our culture. But what Paul is teaching us is that what we meditate upon, this is important, consciously, and yes, even the subconscious programming of our mind, where our minds have been so programmed, 
with the negative, with the impure, with the, with the, which is so much junk, with the critical, with the negative. Paul said, here, here's the point. What you think, it does determine what you feel. My pastor, I don't like what I feel. Well, you got to change what you think. Your feelings are a byproduct of your thoughts, either conscious or subconscious thoughts. So if you don't like what you feel, you got to change what you think. You don't change your feelings, you change your thoughts. Because your feelings and emotions are a function and a byproduct of your thoughts. And by the way, what you think and what you feel ultimately determines what you choose. That's why Paul says, meditate. Everybody say meditate. What does it mean to meditate? It means to intently think about in a certain direction. Meditate on. Meditate on what? Here's what he said. Meditate on the pure, on the positive, whatever's just, whatever's right, whatever's good, whatever a good report. How often do we think about the bad report? Walking at peace, ultimately, it comes down to where's your focus? Are you reeling back your cares? And what are you thinking about all day long? Yeah. What are you dwelling on? I know that we can get discouraged when we see things. But what are you meditating on? Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, it's not the birds that fly over your hair, over your head, but it's those that you allow to make a nest in your hair. Those are the problems. I'm not suggesting we can stop every thought. I am suggesting we can stop any nest. Yeah. So I am very careful what comes into my ear gate and my eye gate. I'm careful of how much news. I don't like watching the news. I read the news. Part of the reason why, it's not that I don't ever, but very rarely, I don't want the spirit that's on that newscaster to get on me. Their anxiety, their fear. I want to cognitively assess information at my own pacing and not get manipulated by somebody's spirit. So I'm the one that makes that choice. Almost every night, People that go to bed, they're watching news, scary things, wonder why. Why don't you fill your mind with the pure, the powerful, and the positive framework of God's word in worship at nighttime? What are you watching? What are you programming your mind consciously, subconsciously? What are you putting in here? Because what you put in here is going to determine what you feel. The average person's anxiety in life, 40% of the things never happen. 30% of those things about the past can't be changed. 12% is criticism from others, mostly untrue. 10% are health, which gets worse with stress. 8% are real problems that must be faced. How often are we tormented by things that actually never materialize because we're meditating on the wrong thing? 92% of stress and fear is largely based upon our mental perspective, most of which things will never happen. So I'll close with this. We can make some changes. We can live in the peace of God. As we look up and praise God, we take our eyes off our problems, we put them on God. Number two, as we cast our cares and we don't reel them back. Number three, watch this. Number three, we choose to set our mind upon Jesus and his word. Now, now let me close with this. You can't have the peace of God until you're at peace with God. Are you at peace with God? I'm gonna ask everybody to bow their heads. Every single person, every campus, every location, if you do not know Christ, this is our moment in the service each week where I just want to ask you this question. Do you know Jesus? The Bible says before you submit your heart to Christ, you and I are at enmity 
We're, we're hostile in our relationship with God. We have no relationship. But, but the good news is, God the Father sent God the Son to die on a cross, that whosoever shall believeth on him. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Do you know Christ? Have you ever received Christ? Have you ever surrendered your heart to Jesus? With everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, this is your moment. You say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. This is how to be at peace with God. You can't have the peace of God till you're at peace with God. Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I need the blood of Christ to wash me, cleanse me, and make me new. If that's you, they count three. Just lift your hand up high. All of our locations. One, two, three. Quickly, put your hand up high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you right there. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Anybody else, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm not sure if I died. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. God bless you, ma'am. Church, let's pray with those that are trusting Christ. Can we do that? Every one of our campuses, let's all pray together as one church. Here we go. Everyone pray. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today. A sinner in need of a Savior. Say this. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. I want you to say this. Say, Jesus, I take my life, and I put it in your hands. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name. Wow, what an amazing message this weekend. And I just wanna to talk to those of you right now who may be making a decision to give your lives to Jesus. If that is you, we as a church just wanna say a big congratulations. I personally believe that is the best decision that you could ever make. And as a church, we're celebrating with you and we also wanna just walk with you and show you what it means to really follow Jesus for the rest of your life. So would you do me a favor and just follow the link in the chat room right now if you're watching it live or you can text the word decision to the numbers 822-822 if you live in the U.S. And what that allows you to do is to just fill out a short form letting us know that you just made that decision so we can follow up with you. Just put some resources in your hands and, and really just come around you as a church to show you what it means to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. Again, congratulations. We're so excited for you. Well, we've really enjoyed being with you at church this weekend. Thank you for joining us. We have one more week of Perspective Shift next weekend. You're not going to want to miss it. So we'll definitely see you there. Same time, same place. Have an awesome week. We'll see you soon.